Dear Heavenly Father, once again we come before you on a Sunday morning. And Lord, we ask that our worship to you in song would be acceptable. That every one of us would be reminded that it is to our Savior we sing these songs this morning. We're thankful for the encouragement and things that are in these songs. But we ask most of all that we would lift up your name. Lord, I pray for the special music that it would draw our attention toward Jesus. And the preaching this morning would be clear and true and easily understood from your word. Because, Lord, the greatest act of worship is when we alter the way we live to bring glory to your name. And that can only be accomplished through your intervention in our lives. And we're asking for that intervention today, right here and right now. We ask that when we leave this place, we would leave different than when we came. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dismissed to the toddlers in the children's church at this time. And the rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 18. And a, a verse that I often quote and, and uh, just felt like today we ought to spend uh, our entire time uh, working on this verse. We're going to examine different passages of Scripture. Of course, I love the fact that the greatest commentary ever written on the Bible is the Bible itself. And uh, if you want to understand your Bible, you've got to get into the Bible. There's nothing that God wants you to understand that isn't written or explained in the pages uh, of this book called the Bible. And, and that's why we put such an emphasis on this book, and yet I have found in, in, in preparing the message and thinking about things that often we, uh, as a pastor, try to explain and, and make simple the, uh, some of the things that are more complex in, in the Word of God. What I'd like us to really just look at today is how simple the Bible really is. God did not make the Bible so complicated you have to have a degree uh, to understand it. The Bible is not for uh, the uh, uh, grossly educated, I might say. Uh, one of my favorite little phrases, I don't know where it came up with this, but uh, uh, have you ever met someone that has impaled themselves upon the pike of their own knowledge? Uh, they've known so much that they're actually... No help at all. Uh, uh, I, I've met people. I've done a lot of different things. And, and uh, you know, uh, before uh, I, when we started deputation, I was in charge of the fleet of buses at uh, Cleveland Baptist Church, uh, maintaining them, changing the oil, making sure the tires were up. And, and you know, there's, there's an awful lot of theory involved in mechanics. I mean, how an internal combustion engine works in a diesel and all the differences uh, that are there in carburetors versus injectors and all those adjustments. And, and I would like to tell you that I understand all that stuff, but I don't. Uh, I, I know a lot about it and, and know how to make it work. 
which is a whole lot more important than understanding the theory. You see, you can have all the theory in the world, but if you can't open the toolbox and make it work, what good is it? And you know, a lot of people, when it comes to God, have that same approach. They want to live in the world that I call sophistry. That's the world of useless and unapplicable knowledge. Uh, I mean, you have all these theories and all these thoughts and all these wonderful things. But what good does it do you? You know, you, you think of all of these... Well, we're not going to get there this morning. But just a moment. Think about the people who are running for the office of President of the United States today. My, how much knowledge they claim to possess. And all the things that they're going to fix should they get elected. And uh, the simple truth of the matter is, they didn't break it. They're probably not going to fix it. You, you need to be in prayer for this country. You really do. Because it's not a smart person that's going to solve our problems. The reason we have so many problems is because of smart people. You know what we really need? We need to return to the days of, of uh, Mr., uh, I believe he was actually a Count de Tocqueville. How many people know who he was? He was a French uh, uh, native, and he visited this country in the 1820s, uh, just after the War of 1812, and He was trying to figure out why the American Revolution produced such freedom and such glorious nation as the United States. When the French Revolution, based on all of this knowledge and reason, had produced so much bloodshed and wiped out an entire generation of the French people by the French people. And this is what the Tocqueville said. He said, The secret to America's greatness is the simplicity of its people. It's like one large Sunday school class. He said, America's people have a simple faith in goodness and morality. And when America ceases to be good and moral, America will cease to be powerful and free. Almost prophetic. But it doesn't take a prophet to agree with what the Bible's already said. And that takes us to our text today, Matthew chapter 18, verse 3. In fact, let's start in verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What a question. 
And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. I've often thought, how would you like to be that little child? you got 12 big men all around Jesus, staring at Jesus. And he brings a little child, maybe five or six years old, sets him on his knee in the middle. And all these big men are staring at him. Would that make you a little uncomfortable? But here's what Jesus said. Verse 3, our text. And said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let me read that again. And said, this Jesus speaking, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, if I were to ask you a question today, how many of you would like to go to heaven? I would dare say nearly, I I wouldn't think that anyone would take the time to come to church on Sunday morning that doesn't want to go to heaven. Amen? I I mean, that, that is something that we would desire. Somebody told me heaven is here on earth. And I'm sitting here going, wow, what a low estimation you have of God. Now, heaven is where God is. Heaven is a wonderful place. And Jesus said to his disciples, he wasn't talking to the Pharisees here. He was talking to his disciples. He said, except you be converted. Now, how many of you understand that word, converted, conversion, means to change? We often use uh, that term when we're talking about salvation, because that's what Jesus was meaning here when he used the term. He said, except you be converted, except you be changed, there's something that has to happen to remove from you all of those things that you have gained in As a member of the human race. Except ye be converted. And become. To become something again. Means change. Does it not? Are we still waiting? It it means change. It It means that things have to change. He said I want you to become. As a little child, he said, if you don't, you're not going to heaven. Now, number one, that ought to be the best news that you've ever heard. Because if Jesus had said, except you study hard and gain a proper understanding of the word of God, That would exclude a great number of human beings from eternity, would it not? If Jesus had said, unless you gain uh, great wealth in this world and become prosperous and earn your way again 
What is the arguments of all the people out there? 1% have 90% or something like that? Well, if that is true, and if that were the thing that Jesus said in this verse, then 99% of the people on earth would have no opportunity for eternity. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, except you be converted and become as little children. Ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, our theme for this year is the just shall live by... Oh, come on, let's try that again. The just shall live by his faith. Amen? That's Habakkuk. Because faith's got to be personal. It's got to be yours. It can't be your mother's. It can't be your father's. It can't be your husband's or your wife's or your son's or your daughter's. It's got to be your faith. It's got to be personal. Now, how do we get faith? Faith cometh by and hearing by... The Word of God. I want to preach about a simple faith this morning. A a simple faith. You know, I think a lot of people are going to miss heaven by about 18 inches. Depending on how tall you are. Uh, That's the distance between your heart and your head. Because it's one thing to know all the things about the Bible. It's one thing to comprehend intellectual, intellectually the concept of God. And that's one of the great problems I have with all of these quote-unquote apologists running around and why I didn't tune in when, uh, who was it, Ken Ham and Bill Nye, the science guy, had their debate. Uh, someone said, aren't, aren't you going to watch that? Aren't you interested? No. And the news media bore out my disinterest in the whole thing. It said 99% of the people that went into that debate came out exactly as they went in, convinced of the same point. Both of them believed their guy won. You want me to tell you who lost? Truth lost that night. You see, truth in and of itself should never be debated. Would we have anyone that would want to debate about the truth of the law of gravity here today? Anybody want to take the side that the law of gravity does not exist? You say, you couldn't win that debate. That's, that's foolishness. You, there's no way that you could argument, argue that gravity doesn't exist. Because all you got to do is pick one foot up and it automatically goes back down. I mean, there's just... Well, yeah. You see, that's truth. We don't debate truth. But people do today. They think the truth is movable. They think it's changeable. They think the truth is determined by opinion. How many of you believe that when you turn on the stove, that electric element or the flame is hot? How many of you believe that? How many of you believe it really doesn't matter whether you believe that or not? 
if you touch it, you're still getting burnt. Uh, isn't that true? Uh, I, I mean, that, that is a truth. You, you, cannot, you cannot argue truth. So why do we have all this debate and stuff today? It's in direct rebellion against Jesus' command in this verse. You see, in order to debate, you have to be educated. You should understand the correct laws of elocution. My mama used to say, you better speak right. You can put all the big words you want. You can make it sound so incredible. But you know something? Truth is still truth, whether or not you believe it or not. It doesn't matter. You see, that's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. How many of you remember Ron Brown's book, The Da Vinci Code, that was supposed to disprove the Bible? I've mentioned it a few times. And I don't know how to say this kindly. But if you're foolish enough to believe anything written by that guy, it's, it's a tragic case. Uh, I, I'm never going to say anyone has passed hope because as long as you're alive, God is able to bring you back. But if you believe that stuff, what in the world are you here for? And by the way, Ron Brown in his book was not... There's not the scholarship in Ron Brown's book that there is in Dr. Seuss. There really isn't. And there is no scholarship in Dr. Seuss. He spent 20 years trying to convince publishers to publish that nonsense. And they finally did. And, and that's what it is. But Ron Brown did not choose any facts. He just picked what he wanted, put it in a book, and tried to use it to blaspheme the truth of God in this book called the Bible. That's, that's the way people work. You know what? I'm not going to try to answer his questions. They're so stupid they don't deserve a que- they don't deserve an answer. He quotes the Pseudepigrapha. That is the scholastic name of the group of writings which he quotes. They're known as the false writings. I mean, that's kind of like saying Congress said Would anybody believe you? Should they? No. Listen, here's what we got to do. We got to stop trying to be intelligent. I believe in education. I believe you ought to understand what what you teach, and you should be able to speak, and you should be able to understand the rules of grammar and put words together so that they mean something. 
But that's not the core of our faith. The core of our faith is that Jesus Christ died, that He was buried, and that He rose again. That is the center of our faith. You see, we are all tempted by so many things. Let's turn to John chapter 1, verse 12. And I will tell you in my life I've been tempted to study up on all of these things and and argue with the evolutionist and argue with the communist and uh, the Jehovah's Witness and all the cultists and, and prove the foolishness of their arguments and all of these things. But you know what I found out? If somebody wants to believe in that stuff, you're not going to stop them. You don't change hearts. Only God does. And I've stood behind this pulpit ever since it was here. And before then, the one that was here before then, and before then in the old building. And have preached this book almost 24 years. And what is so amazing is how little people really get. How little we really understand the Word of God, even after all these years. But here's what Jesus said. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His Name. If you have any questions about who he was, look at verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15, and John bare witness of him. Uh, and so, uh, this is talking about Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you today salvation is in direct obedience to Jesus' command to the disciples in Matthew chapter 18. He said, except ye be converted. He says, you've got to be changed. You've got to put your reasoning away. You've got to put your... And that doesn't mean we're ignorant. What it means is God's a little past what you can comprehend. That God's plan is God's plan, whether you believe it or not. And so stop trying to figure out why God's plan is the way that it is. Believe it. How many of you have ever been given a gift in your lifetime? Somebody gave you something. If you, Nobody? Oh, come on. Come on. You can raise your hand in church. How many of you have ever... Not a trick question. How many of you have ever received a gift? Raise your hand if you've ever received a gift. Okay, almost everybody here. Somebody gave you something. 
The number one reason we give gifts to other people is because we want to demonstrate our care, our concern, our love for that person. Could we say amen to that? Isn't that true? I mean, this whole Christmas holiday, you know, people say it's commercial. Well, I'm not going to argue with the whole world trying to imitate God. Amen? They try to show their love for others. Now, don't go run up your credit cards and all. That's another sermon. But listen. It says here, but as many as received him. How many of you have ever received something? What does that mean? It means you accept it. You take it. You know, there are some gifts that have strings attached. How about one of these? The greatest gift I've ever received outside of salvation is this ring that I have on my hand. There are some strings attached to that thing. But let me tell you, I want every one of them. And I've enjoyed them for nearly 28 years. And look forward to the next 28, should God be so gracious. Listen. When you receive Jesus, you've got to unreceive some other things. When, when I received this ring from my wife as a gift, I, I had to unreceive some other things. And that's a good thing. You see, salvation is receiving Jesus. If you have any questions... Now, I know the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church and the Anglican Church uh, have all come together and they agree that you receive Christ as your Savior when you partake of the Mass or eat the wafer at what they call the Epiphany or whatever that is. Would you read your Bible with me today? But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on His name. You see, that's how simple salvation is. There's no baptism in that verse. There's no good works in that verse. There's nothing in that verse except believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Could I challenge you that a child can believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just that simple. And I've tried to make this statement in many ways, and I I don't know how else to say it than this. What you did to get saved is how you live for Jesus every day. That's what Jesus meant. He said, except you be converted. The question was not... How do you get to heaven? The question was, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? 
How, uh, if I were to ask you, not many people would raise their hand publicly, but secretly in our heart, every one of us would desire to be more than a nobody in heaven. Amen? And you ought to. The Bible tells us to, to want those things and to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's how you do it. Is you become like a little child. In fact, the closer you get to Jesus, the more childlike you will become. You know, it's amazing how many of life's decisions are made for you when you choose to receive Jesus, when you choose to believe on His name. How many of you have ever asked the question, I wonder if it's okay to be a Christian and fill in the blank. I thought that way. How many of you have? Well, what if it was, we rephrased the question just a little bit. Can I do... Fill in the blank and believe on the name of Jesus at the same time. Did that just simplify things? I mean, did that just solve a lot of problems? I've often given the illustration of a guy that used to attend our church. He tried to convince me that coffee is evil and beer is good. And, uh, you know the story. I told him, I said, okay, Dennis, go get a six-pack and bring it here to the house. I'll wait for you. He says, what are we going to do? I said, here's what I'm going to ask you to do when you get back with that six-pack. I'm going to ask you to sit down on your little table here in the living room, and I'm going to ask you to pray and thank Jesus for that beer and tell how much more you can serve Jesus because of what's in that can. He said, I can't do that. I said, that's why beer's evil. He said, you can't pick up a can of beer honestly and not hear the screams of all the little children that went hungry and have been abused and beaten because somebody drank that filthy garbage. Can't do it. You see, my faith is simple. I just want to believe in Jesus' name. You see, that's how I got saved. Let's go to Acts chapter 4. This was just weeks after Jesus had ascended into heaven. Less than... Two months, we might say, in that time period from the crucifixion. The disciples had been called in before the very men that orchestrated the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And let's start reading in verse 9, actually 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, 
ye rulers of the people and the elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. I've often heard preachers joke about Peter and saying he was a hillbilly from the hills. He was the equivalent of a hick from the sticks, that kind of guy. That's where Galilee was famous for, uh, was the backwards and the ignorant people of the day. But Peter spoke at least three languages. And uh, that sounds fairly concise and scholarly and quoting Scripture. That's quite a, quite a statement Peter made, wasn't it? To the very people that orchestrated the crucifixion, humanly speaking, we understand that Christ willingly surrendered. And when that word Christ is used, we kind of miss it because that is the Greek word. But what Peter was saying in the Hebrew would have been Jesus Messiah of Nazareth. That's what the word Christ means. I mean, that word would have stuck like poison in the throats of everyone that he was talking to because they crucified him. He's accusing them of crucifying the answer to all of the prophecies of the Bible. The hope of Israel. Could you imagine how that grated on their souls? But look at their answer in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You see, you have to understand Who is setting the standard of what is intelligent and what isn't? Why, people who want to feel intelligent themselves. Isn't that true in every case? I mean... We have people that talk about the smartest guy in the room. That's because he works for me. That is so foolish. There's no such thing as the smartest guy in the room. It's an absurd accolade we give to individuals. It works great if the room is small. Amen? But it's not so good 
if the room is big. And could I challenge you that as we will all stand in judgment before Jesus Christ, that maybe what we ought to do is allow Him to set the standard of intelligence rather than trying to get the world to approve of us as Christians. Could we say amen to that? You see, here's what the disciples finally answered when they were called into question. Verse 19, But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Does that sound rather childish to you? Is that a simple faith? Peter and John said, listen, we, you, you, you are forcing us to make a choice. We have to either obey God or obey you because we cannot do both. Now, you talk about an indictment. This was the chief rulers, the Sadducees, the priests, the Pharisees, the elders of the nation of Israel... And he said, listen, you guys are so far out that we can't listen to you and listen to God at the same time. And who was this coming from? An ignorant and unlearned man. But I'll tell you what. How many of you would rather be on Peter's side than on the other side? I want to be on Peter's side. I, I, I like the illustration of that simple childlike faith. Peter said, I've seen the resurrected Lord. He says, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. Read Second Peter. Read his letters. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2. We'll be done shortly. Jesus is writing a letter to his churches in Revelations chapter 2 and 3. And I would only like to look at parts of two of those letters. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4, he's talking to the church at Ephesus. He says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent." Now, isn't that amazing what Jesus is condemning the church for? He's not condemning them for their lack of understanding, their lack of biblical knowledge. He's not condemning them because uh, of, of some financial mishap that happened in the church. He's not condemning them for... Uh, not appealing to the world or making people comfortable as they come through the doors. 
He's condemning them because they left their first love. You know what? If there's, there's something wonderful about children, and again, this is a whole other sermon, if there's something the world wants to steal so desperately from your children, it's their innocence. I, I want to keep my children innocent as long as I possibly can. There is something wonderful about the simplicity and innocence of a child. They, they believe you. When you tell them, better be careful what you tell children. The greatest way, the easiest way to steal their innocency from them is to lie to them. Because it's that trust in the heart of a little child that Jesus is speaking about here. That's what he wants you and I to have. Is that simple, childlike faith. That simple belief that because God said it, that's all I need. You know, I've, I've met so many people and they say, well, I, I just question whether God exists. Really? You do. Uh, what has led you to these questions of the existence of God? Well, all the pain and suffering that goes on in the world. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, and they'll list all of these things. How could a God of love make a place called hell? Uh, could I challenge you today? The only way you get to hell is by spitting on the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for you. That you can't get there by accident. You have to get there on purpose. Don't talk to me in those ways about who God is and the love of God. What would this world be like if there was no suffering of the innocent for the misdeeds and the sins of the guilty? What kind of world would it be if there weren't any bad things that happened when someone decided to rebel against God? I can give the stories of so many people that in the depths of their suffering because of the wickedness of wicked people, very little that they had done wrong, that they finally looked up laying on the, on the bottom of the pit of life, said, I see God and I'll believe in Him. I want you to understand something. Jesus was mad. He was condemning this church because they'd gotten over that childlike trust and faith and love in God. You know, little children, they get out of whack so easily, don't they? 
but they get back in line just as easily. A little child, if they know their parent loves them and cares about them, so often all it takes to correct wrong behavior is, Jason, it's not because of mortal fear that he's going to get clobbered. It's because... He knows he's doing something he ought not do. You see, that's what God wants from you and from me. Why do we need therapy in all these long periods of dragging in the depths of sin? It's because we've lost that childlike ability to be called by God and move back where we ought to be. That's why you need to become like a little child. You're going to get out of the way. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail. You can't not fail. You're going to. So, are you going to pay a therapist 300 bucks an hour to lie to you and tell you how it wasn't really that bad? Offending God is really bad. Amen? There is no remedy for that except the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why it says He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How wonderful it is to walk in the love and the light of that verse. Let's just look at one more passage, and we'll be done. Revelation chapter 3. And by the way, this is where we got the name for the church. The open door Bible Baptist Church. Jesus, as He's speaking to this church, in verse 8, He says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word. And has not denied my name. You know what? Those are not complicated things, are they? He condemned the church at Ephesus because they had lost their first love. And he said, here's how you get that straightened out. Go back and do the things that you used to be doing. By the way, for the reasons you used to be doing them. Amen? And then... He tells this church at Philadelphia, he said, I've set before you an open door. He said, and no man can shut that door. And here's why. Because you have a little strength. Does that sound childish? I mean, you really want to make a little kid's day? Little boy, shake your hand. Squeeze just a little bit. And when they squeeze back, you go, oh! get down on your knees. I mean, it just... Oh, look what I did. You know, and they know you're joking, but they enjoy it so much. Or let them carry something really heavy when you're carrying 90% of the weight and they are carrying 10. Oh, my boys love that. Dad, can I help you carry that? Sure, but you got to hold right here. Why? Because there's not too much weight that will hurt you over there. 
I'll have the weight. You see, that's the way Jesus wants to be with us. And you know what? That little child knows Daddy's really carrying this. But where's the joy? I get to help. Why, why can't we do that in our Christian walk? Why can't we do that in our service in the church? For thou hast a little strength. And he says, Thou hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. I could ask the question, how many of you have done something since Sunday, last Sunday, that you know was against the words of the Bible and every hand to go up? We've done it. We've sinned. But he said, kept my word. You know, there's a difference between stepping out of the way or stumbling on the way that I am going and turning around, walking the opposite direction, still believing I'm headed in the original direction. Do you get that? You see, it's that surrender as a little child. Everything that happened here in this church that Jesus is commending is because of Jesus. See, that trust has got to be in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe in His name, that's how you get saved. You keep His word, that's how you serve Him. But the only way you keep His Word is by His Holy Spirit living in you. It's knowing that when I step out of the way, He will make it right again if I'm willing to just obey Him. You want to know who the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is? Verily I say unto you, except you be converted... And become as little children. You should not enter into the kingdom of heaven. How many would say, Preacher, I remember the day when I got converted. When I finally stopped trusting all everything else and I just received Jesus as my Savior. I let him do all the saving and he saved me. Could you say amen to that? If you've done that, praise God. If you haven't, I would challenge you today is the day to do that. Today is the day to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. No, you don't need me. But I'll tell you what, that's why the church is here. It is to help you in that decision. And we'd love to do that, but we won't unless you ask. Because that's the Bible way. Now we go back to those who said they were saved and know for sure they're saved. The question is, has your faith become complex and theological? And, or is it 
that's still that simple childlike faith. Hey, we need to stop sometimes and just get things back in order again. You know what? That's what an altar's for. It's a place where we can just get on our knees before God. You know, it's not a magical place. But it gives us a point of reference in our mind and in our hearts. To say, yeah, I remember when I prayed and asked God to make me like a little child. And I'm not like a little child today. I'm trying to figure the whole thing out. It's time to stop and, hey, start over again. See, little children get corrected easily. Big children don't. Especially if they're over 45. That's, that's rough. But Jesus said that you can become as a little child. And that's what he told the church at Philadelphia. Thou hast the little strength, has kept my word, and has not denied my name. That's not a long list of dues. But if you'll do that short list of do's, there's a whole list of don'ts that go along with it. Amen? And they become a whole lot easier to don't if you'll expend your effort in the do's. And all God's people said. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, I, I pray in my life, in the lives of each one that is here this morning, that there would be found that simple faith, the faith of a little child, the innocence and the trust, the simplicity that is there. Lord, we cannot believe that there are those that are in this room that have never trusted you as their Savior. And Lord, we would pray that Today would be the day that they would willingly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That they would put their eternity in the hands of Jesus and entrust Him with it. Because He died on the cross and rose again from the dead. And gives eternal life to those that believe on His name. Lord, we pray for those that have been saved and are struggling with life which is the vast majority of us, I am sure, that, Lord, today would be a step toward becoming as little children, that we may not only enter the kingdom of heaven, but enter it in the joy of our Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as Andrew comes and leads us in the hymn of invitation. If you need to come and pray, now is the time to do so. If you're here